All right, ladies, welcome. It's, uh, it's Wednesday again. It seems like it's always Wednesday. And uh, we're here again uh, studying the Tehilim. And we're up to chapter 89, which actually uh, finishes the book. Uh, the chapter of Tehilim, the book of Tehilim is divided into five books. And uh, at the end of this book, it says, Baruch Adonai Le'olam Amen Ve'amen. And uh, that means that um, the third book is finished, and that means we have two more to go. So, being that this would be the last one before the vacation, before the next semester, as they call it, so I think it's perfect timing <clears throat> that we end on this note. The chapter, uh, it's a big question who wrote the chapter. I know before you came to this Tehillim class, you were all under the assumption, what do you mean, David wrote Tehillim and that's it, it's David. And then uh, as you've been coming to the Shi'urim, you realize that it's not only David. I mean, till now we were talking about Asaf, B'nai Asaf. And now we're introduced with another author, Maskil Le'etan Ha'izrahi. So the author of this chapter is Etan Ha'izrahi. And the million-dollar question is, who is Etana Ezrahi? It's not David Amelech. So, to, to our surprise, the Gemaran Baba Batra says that Etana Ezrahi actually is a nickname for Avraham Avinu. Really? Could you believe it? That Avraham also weighs in on a chapter over here in Tehillim. That's one approach that the Gemara has. And there's another approach that Rashi brings down is that Etan was one of five brothers. Uh, there's Zimri, there's Etan, there's Heman, there's Chalkal, there's Darda. Five brothers, and uh, they're mentioned in the book of Melachim. And they were all composers of the, of the Tehillim. So we're going to go according to the simple interpretation that this is uh, one of those five brothers. And he wrote a chapter on Tehillim. The, the, the basic theme of this chapter is talking about what we call the Davidic dynasty. Let me review just as an introduction what we're talking about. So there's a, uh, it starts from last week's Perasha when Yaakov Abin was blessing his sons. So he calls in his son Yehuda, fourth son. And he tells him, Lo yasur shevet raglav. And he tells him very clearly. And I think he's talking to the other brothers as well, so they hear that there's going to be a tribe that's designated for kings. And the kings will descend from Yehuda. And not only will they descend from Yehuda, but once it descends, it will never leave. Lo yasur. And this is what we call the Davidic dynasty. Because David Amalek is a direct descendant from Yehuda, and then David's son was Shilomo, and Shilomo's son was Rehavam, and I'm not going to give you the whole uh, dynasty now, but it goes all the way down until uh, the end of uh, Bayit Rishon, and uh, there, was a, there were gaps in between, which I'll talk about those gaps in between, there's a gap now, actually. We're looking to a gap. Uh, there's no king, as you know. And uh, it'll be returned, ultimately, when Mashiach comes. He's the final installment in the Vedic dynasty. Some say David Amalek is the Mashiach. Some say Moshe is the Mashiach. 
Don't ask, how can Moshe be Mashiach is not from Shevet Yehuda? Well, you asked anyway. Orachim HaKadosh says, because uh, he has the neshama of, uh, of, of somebody from Yehuda. So we have to work it out in the spiritual sense. But nonetheless, this chapter is talking about the ascendancy and the legitimacy and the permanency of uh, the kingdom of David HaMelech. So that's why I don't think David wrote the chapter. He's not talking about himself. It's, it's this uh, sadiq called Etan that is going to say. And the chapter begins like this. So the opening verse comes along and says, I am going to uh, speak or sing the praises and the kindnesses of Hashem. Hashem. The kindnesses of Hashem. Olam Ashira. I will speak those praises forever. Ledor Vador. Ledor Vador means from generation to generation. I will publicize the Emunah in my mouth. Now publicizing Emunah and Chesed actually are the... Uh, Qualities of Avraham Abinu. He's a man of Hasid and publicized Zimunah. So that follows the theory that the author is Avraham, because the next person tells us exactly what Avraham did the whole day long. He did Hasid and he publicized Imunah. And he actually used Hasid as the uh, entrance into bringing people to Imunah. He would invite them to his house, give them a free meal, give them free lodging. And then uh, on the way out, he would tell them, You don't have to pay the bill. But you have to accept what I'm going to tell you now. You have to come to one speech. And that's all it took. One speech of Avraham Abinu. Before you knew it, they were, uh, they were believers. So that's going according to the Avraham opinion. But there's a, another opinion that we're talking about over here. Hesed and Emunah. Hasdeh Hashem Olam Ashira Ledor Vador For one minute, I'd like to explain, just as a general interpretation, the difference between Hesed and Emet. These are words you're going to see throughout the Tanakh. What is chesed and what is emet? Or chesed is kindness, emet is truth. Okay, I still don't know what they mean. That's just uh, Webster's Dictionary. We have to know the, the way the terms are, are used. So chesed is if I don't owe you anything, and then I pledge that I'm going to do this. Okay, you don't have to do it if you don't owe me anything. That's chesed. But once I pledge to do it, now once I do it, now it's called emet. Because already I pledged. The initial pledge is chesed, but the execution of the pledge is called emet. I'll give you a simple interpretation. When Hashem created the world, Hashem didn't have to create the world. He doesn't owe us the world. He did it. It was, it was all kindness. So when God says, Yehi or, let there be light, it's chesed. Does God owe us light? Does God owe us anything? However, once the light becomes, Vayhi or, that's emet. Yehi or, chesed. Once he pledged it, that's already emet. So when we talk about the creation of the world, which we're talking about now, it has both elements. When we talk about the world, it's really the chesed of Hashem, because he didn't have to do it. He did something that was voluntary. But once you committed to create the world, everything you said, you committed. That is turning chesed into emet. Another point on the first pasuk. What is the difference between uh, the words here, olam and dor vador? 
עוד פעם, the beginning says, חסדי השם עולם עשירה, the kindnesses of God will be forever. I will speak those forever. לדור ודור, and from generation to generation, אודיה אמונתך בפי, I will publicize uh, your אמונה, your, uh, your, your um, the belief that we have in you, let's say. Uh, or your consistency, or your, your, your נאמנות, your responsibility to the world. But what is the difference between עולם and דור ודור? So this is a very important difference the Gaon Mevilna says. We say in Ashrei, in Ashrei we say the following, Malchutecha Malchut Kol Olamim, Umemshaltecha Bechol Dor Vador. Let's go again. Malchutcha, your kingdom is Malchut Kol Olamim, Olamim means forever, Umemshaltecha, and your ruling, your rulership is Ledor Vador, Umemshaltecha Ledor Vador. What's the difference? So the rabbi Gaon the Vilna says beautiful. Malchut represents a king that is accepted by everybody. That's called the Melech. A Moshel is a ruler that forces himself on the people but does not have the unanimous acceptance of the people. I'll give you an example. When it comes to the Jewish people, we accept God. However, when it comes to the Goyim, they have Avodah Zarah, they have other things. Umoshel Bagrim, God has to be their God by force. I'm sorry to tell you that even by us, by the Jewish people, it's not unanimous today. Uh, today you have many people that, uh, unfortunately, don't believe yet in God, we will say. So only when Mashiach comes, then it's going to be unanimous. So therefore we say the following. Malchutecha Malchut Kol Olamim. Your Malchut is going to be accepted in the future forever. However, but now that you are ruling as a ruler where it's not totally accepted, that's only that's only temporary, generation to generation. Generation to generation is a temporary time. Olam is a permanent time. When is God's kingdom going to be accepted unanimously without any questions? That's going to be forever. But we didn't get to the world of forever yet. We're still in the temporary world. And this world, God is a ruler, but it's not unanimous. So therefore, your, your rulership, that's from generation to generation, until we get to eternity. Now you have the difference between Olam and Dor Vador. Olam is in the future, forever, and Dor Vador is now. Let's go back to our Pasuk. When Bore Olam brings us into the next phase of the world, which is the beginning of the eternal world, then the kindnesses of God are going to be sung. They're not going to have to be proven. You're not going to have to convince anybody. You're not going to have to say anything about it. It's going to be obvious. All we're going to do in those times is sing the praises. Nobody's going to say, who said? Prove it to me. Show me. No. olam. When we get to the olam of nitzchi, of, 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 of uh, uh, eternity, ashira. However, ledor vador, in the meantime, from generation to generation, what we're doing now, now we have to convince people. Odiyah means we have to reveal it. We have to speak to the people. So there's a difference between our time 
and the future. Now we're still convincing, we still have to show people why the Torah's emet, and why Hashem's emet, and how Hashem created the world, and all these things have to be debated until we can convince them. That's the Dor Vador. The Emunah is in my mouth. But uh, when it comes to the future, it's going to be Olam Ashira. I'm just going to sing it, and it's going to be obvious. That's the opening verse of the Pasuk. Amarti, famous Pasuk. Olam Chesed Yibaneh. The world was created uh, based on what we call Chesed. The whole world was kindness. Let us review this. What does it mean the world was built on kindness? Olam Chesed Yibaneh. It's one of the three pillars of the world. Before the Torah was given, the, the world was created. So you can't say that the pillar of Torah was there at day one. There was no, there was no Torah. And you can't say the pillar of Avodah, which is prayer, it wasn't there yet. We didn't have an official tefillah. The only thing that was in the world at the time that it was created was chesed. So that was the first pillar. That's probably why um, uh, the Torah comes and tells us in the beginning of the creation that God did tremendous chesed with Adam Arishon even after he sinned. Let me, t- let me explain to you how chesed works. Chesed means... Um, Un- un- unbridled kindness. Kindness without any limitations. Uh, kindness without any conditions, conditions or, or, or judgments. Which means, even if you don't deserve it, chesed. Chesed is, uh, we don't uh, do any calculations. Chesed is just, it's givurah that comes and mitigates chesed. And controls chesed from expanding, you know, limitlessly. But at the beginning of the world, Boreham created the world. Who deserved anything? Nobody. What was the zikhut for Adam to be created? What did Adam do to be created? Nothing. <laughs> what did anybody do for the world to be created? What did anybody do to deserve all this beautiful world? They did nothing. And after the world is created, then you can start introducing, okay, do this and you'll get that. But before the world's created, it's just on, uh, you know, on, on, on future, uh, future credit. On something that we never did. So that was the basis of the world. And we see in the first parasha, how God did chesed Abraham by, after the sin, he needed clothes. And where did Abdan get his first pair of clothes from? From God. That's chesed. But Abraham weaved them clothes. And throughout the Torah, in Sifat Bereshit, you see the different hasadim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did. But there's even a, a deeper thing the Gemara says. The Gemara says that Adam understood that Hashem wants the world to run on chesed, Adam did not marry his daughter. Why didn't Adam marry his daughter? He could have married his daughter. In those days, who was he going to marry? I mean, he has his wife, Hava, but he could have two wives. In those days, they had more than one wife. So the Gemara says that Adam didn't marry his daughter in order to leave his daughter for Cain. Because Cain is his son, and Cain ended up marrying his sister, which is Adam's daughter. So Adam did a chesed to Cain by leaving his daughter in order that Cain uh, should be able to procreate. Uh, I know in your brains it doesn't sound like a big chesed. Could you say, what are we talking about? What kind of chesed is that? But again, he, he, he's, he's the first one in the creation and he could marry whoever he wants and in those days it was permissible. But Adam and his son said no. Even though Hava made him some trouble so maybe I think he'd want to take a different wife. But nonetheless, he kept Hava, and he didn't take 
you know what? W- w- why take my word? Everybody's giving me funny eyes. And I don't, I'm feeling uncomfortable with these funny eyes. So I'm reading the Gemara over here in Sanhedrin on page 58. <laughs> Gemara. Why didn't Adam marry his daughter? So Kain can marry his sister, leave something for somebody else. It's like Adam Rishon talking. And why did God allow Kain? Why did, why did Adam do this to Kain? So there'll be more uh, couples. So we have more creation of the world. And then the Pasuk says, and this is in Vayikra. We never understood this person, but now you understand it. It says, Ve'ish ki yikah, ve'ish asher yikah et achoto. If a person marries or goes with his sister. So the pasuk says, Hesed hu. Hesed hu. What kind of hesed is that? That sounds like it's, uh, it's perversion. It sounds like it's uh, debauchery. And here the Padua is coming to say that. If a person goes with his sister, Hesed hu. After Tzutura is given, the word chesed can be explained like the Targum says, busha. Chesed means busha. But before the Torah was given, who's ish? Kain is called ish. Kaniti ish et Hashem. Ki yikach ish et achoto. That the first ish that married his sister was Kain. And you know what that was? Chesed who? Chesed from who? Chesed from his father, Adam, that allowed the daughter to be married, the kind in order to continue the creation of the world. Again, I don't think you appreciate the chesed as much as it is, but the Gemara is calling that a big chesed on Adam Arishon's point. I would like to make a, uh, a comment uh, on this as well. The Torah over here is saying something very, very, very deep. I hope I can explain it correctly. So a person over here goes with his sister. So the Torah says, What do you mean, chesed? Take away Adam Rishon's story. Without that, how do you learn chesed? So I explained to you the Targum learns it's a busha. Chesed can mean busha. Yes, yes, yes. No, but but, but, but I, I think there's a connection, but because I think any time a person receives chesed, he has a busha. You don't want to take anything, you want to give. So what's already you're on the, you're, you're on the receiving end of things, there's a busha. No, no, this is regular immorality. Guy goes with his sister. This is, this is perversion. I don't know what this is called. This is sedom. But it says chesed. I want to explain to you a deep, deep concept. There's two types of chesed that the Mikubalim talk about. Chesed de Kedushah and Chesed de Kilipah. The Chesed of Kedushah, which is the Chesed of Abraham, and then the Chesed of the Kilipah, which descends from Yishmael. Now, the Chesed of Abraham will always lead to holy things, will only lead to, you know, tikkun and great, great uh, uh, purity. However, one must be very careful because Chesed, if it's not controlled in the right way, could lead to tremendous, tremendous uh, uh, immorality. But it starts as chesed. It starts as chesed. Everybody has well intended. 
uh, well intentions. Uh, you know, a person says, I, I want to help. There's a, uh, you know, a lady in distress. I want to help them. Chesed. This is a very good. Everybody starts with chesed. But if it's not going to be uh, controlled and with the right intent, then all of a sudden chesed of kiddushah can very quickly descend into chesed of kilipah. And before you know it, it turns into something immoral. So and and in the name of Chesed, but I was just trying to help. You know, trying to help, but uh, you have to be careful. And that's why the tzaddikim always have to scrutinize themselves when they're doing Chesed that it doesn't lead to the wrong type of Chesed that belongs to uh, Yishmael. I think I said enough on that point, but it's a very important yisod. Everybody's come and say, but I was just intending to do good. You're right. Even chesed is connected very closely to adayot, to immorality. Wow. It, it's related. In the name of chesed, all of a sudden, the yetzirah can use that as the entry to, to bad things. So therefore, you have to be careful. Not everybody that's motivated by chesed necessarily ends up in the, uh, in the place of Abraham. Sometimes they end up in the place of Yishmael. Maybe unintentionally, but that's where sometimes chesed can be. So you have to be careful. You have to be careful. Anyway... What does this got to do with David HaMelech? So the Rashi right away tells us, Ki amarti, Ad olam yibaneh bechesed, Kiseh David kemo shekatub, Vachinoti kiseh mamlachto. Which means, That just like one of the things that I did, Is I did, I created the world with chesed, I also created the king of David bechesed, That he's going to have his, uh, his, his, his malkut. That's part of the hasrin that Hashem did. Now we start. Karati berit lefchidi. I made a covenant. Mazeh bechidi. With my chosen one. Bechidi, the one I chose. And who's that? Nishbarti le David avdi. And I made a, a swear to David that his malchut is going to be lanetzach. That's going to be forever. Ad olam achin zarecha. And forever. He will always have descendants. That is an amazing prophecy that the, that the Nabi says over here in Tehillim. We have a guarantee that, a few guarantees, let me review them with you. Guarantee number one, there will always be Jews. The world cannot exist without Jews. You'll never be able to eradicate all the Jewish people. There always will be somebody that survives. That's as a nation. So Hitler, that uh, annihilated one-third of the people, the six million, but nobody ever thought he'd be able to destroy all of us. That's already a guarantee. There's another guarantee that says in the Pesukim that Bore Olam will never uh, destroy an entire Shevet an entire tribe. So there always has to be the 12 tribes, somebody representing them. Now I know we lost 10 tribes, but they're somewhere. Maybe they're in China, maybe they're in uh, Mongolia. I'm not sure you have to take the risk board out and find out all these remote countries and find out, uh, or Kutsk, maybe. I don't know where they are, but they're somewhere. But the point is, the, ten tr- the 12 tribes always have to exist. However, there's no guarantee on families of the tribes. That means it's quite possible that certain families 
Take the family of the Hashmonaim. They don't exist anymore. That family's gone. Where did they go? They got destroyed. If somebody comes today and says, I am from the Hashmonaim family, you tell him you're a liar. There's no more Hashmonaim. The Gemara says, <clears throat> they were all wiped out. Now, that doesn't mean they come from the tribe of Levi. Levi is still around, but the family of Hashmonaim that come from Shevet Levi is gone. Even if you look at the Jews that came out of Egypt, we went down with 70 families. You'll notice on the way out, some of them are not there anymore. Some of them went missing and other families took over. But all the tribes will always exist. However, there's one family that God promises will always have descendants and they will never be wiped out, and that's King David's family. So you have to know, even today, there's somebody that's living from the tribe of Yehuda that's direct descendant from David. It has to be that way. From this pasuk, Ot pa'am, Ad Olam, Ad Olam means forever, Achin Zarecha, you're going to have Zera, Ledor Vador, from generation to generation, Kisacha, there'll always be somebody that's worthy to sit on the, on the chair. Now let's, let's just talk history. There were times where we came this close of the Davidic dynasty being destroyed had it not been for this prophecy. You remember the king Ahav? Good. You remember his wife? Remember Isabel, Zvale. She was like her name. Isabel, bad lady. So they had a daughter. Uh, they had Atalia. And Atalia was like a mother. And what she did is she went on a, which we call a witch hunt. And she witch hunted all descendants of David's family in order to kill them. And she went systematically and killed every living descendant from David's family. And there was one left. You believe this? One left a baby called Yoash, or Yehoash. And now the Hakamim knew, that's it, if he dies, there's no more David. And then we couldn't die because Hashem promised. But they had to do everything to save Yoash from Atalia. So the Kohen at the time was uh, Yehoyada Kohen. Yehoyada, hold on to your seats, took the baby and hid him. Where did he hide Yoash? In the Kodesh Kodashim. Wow. You believe it? Now, <laughs> Kodesh Kodashim is a very sensitive place. You only have entry if you're Kohen Gadol and only on Kippur. Nobody's going to think to look for a, a baby. And he would go in every day to the Kodesh Kodashim. Had no choice. To feed him. And he was raised. And he lived in the Kodesh Kodashim for seven years. Wow. You believe this? Seven years. And then after Atalia got killed... So they brought him out of hiding, and at seven years old, he became the king of Israel. And that's the way it works. He's the king, he's the only one left. And therefore, boom, they installed him at seven years old. That's, uh, you know, that's some, some, some childhood. Boom. Living in the Kodesh for seven years, and then from the Kodesh Kodeshim to sitting on the throne. And he was a, he was a tzaddik as long as his rabbi was alive, Yehoyada, because he, he raised him. And... Uh, I hate to tell this story because it's a, it's a miserable story. But, uh, you know, we got to take the good and the bad. Oh, you're not going to be tested. Don't worry about it. For your notes. What do you want to know about? Who was the Kohen Gadol that hit the baby? Yehoyada. Yehoyada. Who was Atalia? 
Ataya was the was was Izebel's daughter that killed all the Malchut uh, David. Who else you want to know? That's it. Okay. <laughs> so now, oh, so now it, it gets it gets terrible. I could skip this part of the story, but no. what you should know it. You better hear it in the class than hear it in the street. You hear it the right way. I don't want you to get shocked in the street if somebody tells you this story. Anyway, Yehoash was a tzaddik for a while. And then the people started to get to him. And they told him, you know, uh, Yehoash, you're not a regular guy, by the way. Because, you know, you, you, you are like God. Why am I like God? Because to live in the Kodesh Kodesh for seven years is impossible. Now, the first time he heard it, he probably said, nah, shtuyot, come on. The second time he heard it, eh, maybe. Third time already, he accepted it. And now all of a sudden, Yoash committed the crime of self-deification. He let the people convince him that he's God, or a God. And now all of a sudden, they're worshipping him, and he's worshipping himself. And I mean, a mess. Zechariah, there we go, Zechariah, 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 who's the, who's the Kohen at the time, he gets up and makes a speech and says, Rabotai, this is unacceptable. You're accepting this guy as a god. There's only one god. He made a tremendous, tremendous speech against the king. Rightfully so. And here's the miserable part. They went and they killed Zechariah. Yehoash has the Kohen Gadol killed. In the Beit HaMikdash. On Shabbat, Yom Kippur. I told you. you. Believe it. They killed the Navi. I mean, what, what, what happened over here? They killed the Navi. And now, I mean, the blood of Zechariah was bubbling, it says, for hundreds of years until Nebuzar Adan, who was the head of the, the Babylonian army, and came and slaughtered a lot of people over that blood until the blood of Zechariah uh, was pacified. And Nebuzar uh, Adan said, Zechariah, I'll kill them all. And then at that point, the blood of Zechariah. So, so it, was a, it was a terrible time. But my point in showing you that story is that it's this pasuk that saves, saves the, the family of David. From... Yoash left descendants. They did. And they were good? And well, some of them were good. Some of them were not good. Until we get to some of the great tzaddikim, like Hezkiah HaMelech, that was one of the good ones. And you have King Yoshiyahu, also one of the good ones. So they were on and off, but that's, that's the, the story of how David's family almost got destroyed. I'll give you another history. In the times of the second Beit HaMikdash. So there, the chief rabbi was the Yohanan, Ben Zakai. And the Roman... General was Vespasian, Aspasianos. And there's a famous Gemara that tells a meeting between our chief rabbi and the Roman general. And the Roman general sees the Yohanan, and the Yohanan says, Peace be unto the Caesar. He says, I'm not a Caesar, I'm only the general. He says, Today there's going to be news from Rome. The Caesar died, you're the successor. As he's saying that, sure enough, they come from Rome, they say, Hail to the Caesar. Uh, rabbis, how do you know that? The rabbis know everything. What are you asking? But because you gave me good news, you can ask for three wishes, and I will grant them. That's Vespasian, Tanabu Hanan. 
So the first thing, whatever he tells him, we have a kolel in Yavne, don't destroy kolel Yavne. Okay, a bunch of rabbis learning Torah, you have it. What, what is it going to do for him? And there's another rabbi called Rab Tzadok. He's a big tzaddik. He needs a doctor. Okay. What else you want? He says, we have a family of Rabban Gamliel. And he's a direct descendant of David HaMelech, Rabban Gamliel. We understand you're going to come into Jerusalem and you're going to make havoc and you're going to destroy everything. Promise me that you will grant exit visas for the family of Rabban Gamliel and you will not destroy them. And amazing Vespasian accepted it. And that's another example how this prophecy came true. Where again, a deal was broken between the ruthless Caesar that accepted not to touch the family of Rabban Gamliel and the, 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 the line of David uh, still continues. So that's some of, the, uh, some of the history that happens today. Now, here the Navi, Navi the Tehilim, digresses for a minute to show us the wonders that Hashem has done in the creation of the world, as if to say, just like I do these wonders on a daily basis in the creation of the world, I do the wonders to keep the David family intact. That's the example. V'yodu shamayim pelacha Adonai, and everybody will, will come to uh, admit that you keep your word, that we see the wonders, the wonders of the creation, which is really the wonders of the creation, uh, and you have um, uh, have uh, kept your word to the Kiddushim, either that's the angels or the, or the Jewish people, which means in all the creation of the world. Who in the heavens can compare to you, God? No angel can compare to God. There's no deity like God. Who is strong like, uh, like our God? God is feared in the midst of the Kiddushim. That means even the angels are afraid of Hashem. The closer you are to Hashem, the more you're afraid of Him. And therefore the angels that are very close to Hashem, so they fear Hashem, like we say every day in the Tefillah, they answer uh, to themselves, with fear, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Sivaot. And it says the angels, they, they sweat from the fear that they have of Hashem. And there's like Ze'ah coming down from the, uh, from the angels. And that's what it means, El Na'arat, God is feared, Besod Kedoshim Rabbah, Venora al Kosevivav. Now this Pasuk, Venora al Kosevivav, meaning those that are close to him have what's called Nora. Nora means they're in awe. The closer you are, the more awe that you have. Now from here the Gemara learns a lesson. It's important to know this lesson because we see it sometimes. So we have to discuss it. This I heard many times from He would say that God judges the Sadiqim with a fine tooth comb. And the Sadiqim are judged very, very strictly in this world. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a tzaddik. But sometimes the tzaddikim, is very, very, very meticulous with them. Uh, Chabaruch would give an example. He would say, if somebody's wearing a black suit, you don't see any stains. But if you're wearing a white suit, every stain is magnified. So the tzaddikim are white. So every little mistake that they have is, is seen, is noticed. Nefu Borei Olam wants to clean it for them so they'll be white when they come to so that's why it shouldn't bother 
people like us, when we say, I don't understand, he does everything, he does everything right, look what happened. Sadiq Vinalo, but that's the way Borei Olam runs the world sometimes. He purifies the Sadiqim here in order that they should have a, a, a better or perfect uh, Olam Abba. That's the, way, that's the way it is. And that's what it means in the Pasuki, he would say. Usbivav, sorry, Venora. Nora means the fear of God is seen al kol sivivav by those that are close to him. Sivivav, elusha saviv, meaning when we see the way God treats the sadikim, it causes fear on us. Understand what I said? Venora al kol sivivav. We see the awesomeness of God the way. Meaning, if that could happen to the children of Aharon, and Aharon is a big sadik, so what does that do? It causes everybody to, to have fear. That's the way the rabbi explained the pasuk based on the Gemariot. Adonai Elohesevaot. Now watch this. God, Micha Mocha Hasinya. Who is like you? Hasin. God is Hasin. Mazi Hasin. Mazi Hasin. So, Hasin means Hazak. Hazak. That's the way the Gemara explains it. Uh, Hazak. Gemara Gitin says, amazing story. God has unlimited strength in the sense that he can control. Control. Where do you see his control? Amazing stories. Gemara says on the day they destroyed the Beit HaMikdash. So Titus, Titus, it's the second temple. Titus went into the Holy of Holies and he took a, a sword and he stabbed the curtain of the Beit HaMikdash and blood started to come out and he thought, I killed God. And then he took a zona, pardon me, and he took a Sefer Torah and he did an immoral act in the Kodesh Kodashim. Do you believe it? And guess what? He survived it and he walked out. Titus, Titus. Now imagine that. Now, the angels are telling God, what are you doing? Kill him. Kill him. Look what he's doing to you. He's, he's defiant. And he walks out, brazen. Ah, look what I did over here. And Borei Olam has such strength. He could kill Titus in a millisecond. In a half a millisecond. Borei Olam, Hasin. And he lets Titus talk. So now what happens? The Gemara comes along and says, Titus gets on a boat. And he's going back to Rome. And then he did his job. And he wants to go uh, get paid. Even though he took all the kidding of the Beit HaMikdash. He got paid already. He pillaged everything. So now on the boat, there was a big storm. And the boat was going to capsize. So Titus knew that that's God coming to take revenge against him. So what does he do? Chutzpah, Titus. He turns to God and says, Ah, it seems that your strength is only on the water. When you, when you beat the Egyptians, you beat them on the water. Why don't you fight me on dry land? Mm-hmm. And what does God do? Keeps quiet. He lets the Rasha talk like this. Borei is patient. Maybe Titus will make Teshuvah. Doesn't want to right away. A normal king, if you sneeze, he, 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 he chops chop the guy's head off. And he and Borei Olam is listening to his bushot from a, from a creature that he created. Anyway, Titus comes out to dry land. And now 
Tito says, okay, I'm ready. Now let's fight. What do you want? says, you want to fight with me? I'm too busy with you. He sends a mosquito. The mosquito goes in his nose. And that's it. Now Tito's going crazy. He went to every doctor. They tell him it's a parasite. Okay, well, how do you get the parasite out? We don't know how to get the parasite. It's in your brain. We've got to crack your brain open. Anyway, they can't crack his brain open. Now he's in pain 24 hours a day as the, as the mosquitoes eating away from Titos' brain. Now one day he's walking by and he is the blacksmith. The blacksmith is banging on the anvil. Boom, 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 boom. All of a sudden the mosquito got scared and stopped, stopped making noise in his brain. He said, what? Beautiful. I found the therapy. So now he went to the Jewish blacksmith. What it says in the Gemara, he would always sit by a blacksmith. If it was a goy, he would pay him. If it was a Jew, he said, the pleasure you're getting to see me suffering is your payment. Yeah, I'm going to pay you. You're, you're enjoying it already that I'm suffering, which is true. I would, I would, I would pay to, to see Tito suffer. So anyway, after 30 days, what happened? The mosquito got used to it. So now the therapy didn't work. He had to find, they didn't have, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, they stick the needles in, uh, in your tip. Huh? Acupuncture they didn't have in those days. So that's it. He, didn't have, he, he was in trouble. He didn't have uh, all these things. So now what is he going to do? Now what is he going to do? He just died. And when they cracked open his brain, they said it was the size of a bird. It was such a, such a big uh, item. He deserves it. But that, that's Bode Olam. How much re- re- resistance or how much uh, patience Bode Olam has, that's, that's the strength. You don't answer right away. You have to answer. Bode can answer. Micha Mocha Hasinya. The Gemara uses this pasuk on that uh, on that episode. Fine. Atam Moshel Bigeutayam. Bode Olam, your power is on the Geutayam, on the waters. You control them. Uh, sometimes there's tsunamis. This is referring to tsunami. Geutayam, the uh, arrogance of the sea, sometimes crosses its borders and goes on the on the land. Besogalav. Sogalav is the high waves. Ata teshabechem. Teshabechem over here means you lower them, which means uh, the way the Mefarshim say, you control the high waves and you bring them down in order to calm the, the waters down. Ata dikita chehalal rahav. You destroyed the Egyptians that I called, like we learned last week, rahav, which is the arrogant ones. With your, with your strength of your arm, you scattered all the enemies. The heavens belong to you. So is the earth. You've established the entire universe. Now look at this pasuk. I have a hadush from Avchaim Karievsky. You created all the directions. You created the north and you created the south. Uh, Yamin represents the south. So therefore, Safon v'yamin is a way of saying north and south. All directions, atam, you created them. You created the mountains as well. Tabor v'chermon b'shimcha yiranenu. Mount Tabor and Mount Chermon will praise you. Now, Chaim Kenievsky asks in Ta'amid Ekra, why doesn't it say also by Tabor and Hermon, you created them? It says they will praise you. It should say you created the right, you created the left, you created Tabor, you created Hermon. No, you created the, the north and the south. And when it comes to these two mountains, they will praise you. So he says because these two mountains have something in common. They were not, uh, 
at the end of their career, these two mountains were not the same as they were when they were created. I mean to say, there was a mountain called uh, Tabor. Tabor used to be um, outside of Israel. But when God gave the Torah at Har Sinai, it says Mount Tabor lifted up and came to Har Sinai to hear Hashem give the Torah. Sounds strange, yeah? But that's what happened. The angel that controls Mount Tabor lifted it up and therefore God said, in the Zichut that you came to hear Matan Torah, you're moving to Israel. And now Mount Tabor is in Israel. And guess what? To reward Mount Tabor for their presence at Har Sinai, God says, I'm going to make a miracle on this mountain that will be tantamount to Matan Torah. And that's when the Yahweh Navi went on Mount Tabor and the Jews proclaimed Adonai, 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 Adonai which was like a, a, a national event of proclamation of God's name on this mountain. So there's two famous mountains, Har Sinai and Har Tabor. But that's why Rav Chaim says, you can't say Har Tabor that you created. Because where God created Tabor is not where it landed. It landed. And the same thing happened with Har Hermon. The Midrash writes that when Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to look into Eris Israel, God wouldn't let him go in. But God gave him a view. So Mount Hermon wanted to give Moshe, uh, make it easy. So it says it, it grew. It became taller. So Moshe had been able to see. So therefore the Hermon that was created on whatever the mountain day is, was not the same Hermon by the end. So that's why Chaim says, you can't say Tabor v'Hermon Ashir Barata. Because they were nothing like they were at the time of the Biriah. But they will, they will praise you. That's why there's an honorable mention, by the way, of these two. There's a lot of mountains. Everest is not mentioned over here. Because Everest never did anything. It just a couple of people climbed it, but never went out of their way to serve to serve God. Neither the Himalayans uh, uh, as well. Okay. Lecha zeroa im gibura. Ta'oz yadecha tarum yeminecha. Now we start to talk about the establishment of God's zeroa. Zeroa always refers to God's right, which represents God's power of miracles. Im gibura, which is... God's left, which is usually referring to the natural order of things. Ta'oz yadecha, God's left hand, which is the strength of kiburah, which is judgment. Tarum yeminecha, and sometimes God lifts his right hand up, like when Egypt, where it says, yeminecha Adonai, nedari bakoa, yeminecha Adonai, terasoyev. That's because the miracles took place. Sometimes God uses his right, which represents miracles. Sometimes he uses his left, which represents natural order. Sedeku mishpat makon kis'acha, chesed ve'emet yikademu fanecha. Now watch this, uh, what happens over here. Go to Pasuk Yudtet, because I want to get to the uh, Pasuk Kaf, which is the main theme of the chapter. As the Barta Behazon Nahasidecha. You then came and spoke to your prophet Natan Hanavi. This is Hazon, is the prophet. Which prophet did you speak to? Natan. Nahasidecha, regarding. The Hasid. Who's the Hasid? David. What did God speak to the Hazon regarding the Hasid? He said, listen, this man David is a Sadiq and he thinks he's going to build the Beit HaMikdash. But you got to go tell him that he's not going to build the Beit HaMikdash. His son Shalom is going to build the Beit HaMikdash. David already was drawing up and drafting plans to build the Beit HaMikdash. And God, for whatever reason, wanted the Beit HaMikdash to be built by Shalom. So as the Barta Behazon, you went to the Hazon, meaning Natan, and you spoke to Hasidecha, 
Vatomer, and you said, Shiviti Ezer al Gibor. You have to know that David is a Gibor. Not only in his religious service he was a Gibor, but physically he was a Gibor. One time a lion came in front of David with his bare hands, he ripped the lion apart. David also was able to bring down Goliath, which was the great giant. And therefore, he was a gibor. And therefore, harimota bachur me'am. Now this pasuk I want to read now. Harimoti bachur me'am. Which means, what does bachur mean? Chosen. Bachur, chosen. Harimoti bachur me'am. David was a lad. He was the youngest of his brothers. Nobody thought from the family that David would be chosen. And God said, even though you're not building the Beit HaMikdash, you've proven your strength, you've proven that you're a tzaddik, and when you were young, harimoti Bahur Me'am. I lifted this Bahur, uh, 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 could be like you said, the young one, or the chosen one. Bahur Minashon Bechira. Harimoti Bahur, I chose you and lifted you from everybody else. Now watch how Rav Hida explains this Pasuk. People always ask the rabbi, Rabbi, I have, uh, I feel like there's Ainara on me, or there's judgments on me. Uh, and they list a whole litany of things that went wrong in the past uh, couple of days. And therefore, what, 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 is the, uh, what is the way to break the judgments? Is there a way to break the judgments? It's a big question. Not always people feel like this, but certain times in life, people feel like there's a hex on them, that something's going wrong, and they, they come to the rabbi, what do I do? So there's different answers. I'd like to tell you one, which is it's a guarantee. It guaranteed to break all the judgments. It's not in your control, however, but you have to know it, because once you're aware of it, when the Olam will present the situation, and then it guarantees to break any judgments in the strongest way. The Gemara says that Kola Ma'avir al Midotav. Ma'avirim al Kolpeshav. You know what Ma'avir al Midotav means? Ma'avir al Midotav means that you forego your honor. You forego something. Somebody embarrasses you, somebody wrongs you. Somebody mistreats you, somebody, and you at that moment you have you have an ability to respond, you have an ability to attack, and you ma'avir, you come along and say. <laughs> and at that point, when Borelam sees the person resist the temptation to respond, which is natural, to take revenge or to scream back, at that point over there, the judgments cannot stay in that area anymore. Because it's too big of a mitzvah that you did. So the judgments say, are you kidding? This guy's not going to answer. She's not going to respond back. She's not going to... All of a sudden, at that moment, the judgments just disappear. It's magic. It's abracadabra. The judgments disappear. This is a very, very big yesod. Now, it's not in your control. It's not like... I, I can give you another advice. Read this, and uh, read this backwards and forwards 32 times. And then whatever. Okay, but that you can control. I can't control. Okay, get embarrassed and don't respond. Who's going to embarrass me? No, I'll, I'll embarrass you. No, no, no. We, we can't, it can't be staged. It has to be real. But you should all be aware of that. That when somebody gets into such a situation, it probably means there's judgments on them. And God's giving the person an opportunity 
to move the judgments away. So you have to look at it not as an unlucky day when that happens. You have to look at it as a very lucky and a fortunate day that you were able to control your reaction and therefore get, uh, uh, get a cleansing of the judgments. Uh, I mean, that happens all the time as a rabbi. You, you, you wouldn't believe the things people can tell you. But nonetheless, you don't always respond. And you smile and you say, please let that be my kapara and let the, let the judgments go away. And uh, hopefully they do. Now Rav Hida sees this in this pasuk. Judgments come from the name of Hashem Elohim. Yudke Vavke is mercy. Elohim is judgment. How much is Elohim equal in numericals? 86. 86. Bahur. If you take the word Bahur, Bet, 2, Het, that's 10. And Vav is 6. So that's what? That's 16. And then you have Rish. 216. 216 is the exact numerical value of the word Givura. Givura. Givura comes from obviously Shemelokim. So therefore, when we say Chesed is 72, but Givura is 216. And therefore, Harimoti Bahur. How do you lift? The Bahur. How do you lift the Gibura off of a person? I don't want the Bahur to be on me. Harimoti Bahur. You know what the secret is? Me'am. Me'am Rashetevot. Ma'avir al Midotav. Ma'avir al Midotav. You step aside and you control your Midot. You control your response. You control your reaction. Ma'avir al Midotav. You overcome your temptation to answer. Opam. This might be one of the biggest Hadushim from the Nafhida that we've seen in a long time. Harimoti Bahur. My intention is to lift the Bahur. Maza Bahur, Gibura. I want it to dissipate. I want it to go away. What's the answer? Ma'am. Maza Ma'am. Ma'avir al Midutab. Les Pasuk. It's a big chapter. My purpose is not to explain every Pasuk. My purpose is to get an overview of what the chapter is talking about. So you'll remember, a petet, that's the one where God promises that means family, that it'll be forever, and it promises that he's not going to build a Beit HaMikdash, although he was a great tzaddik. And then in the last pasuk we're going to read is 21. Matsati David Avdi. I found David. Okay, I didn't know he was lost. But thank God he got found. So the Midrash asks, where did God find David? Lost and found? Matsati David Avdi Vehechan Mitzah. Oh, Bisdom. He found him in Sdom. David was hiding in Sdom. So, what has I found you? An explanation, of course, we know is because who was living in Sedom? Lot. And Lot actually shouldn't have been saved because Lot was not such a good guy by that time. But he was only saved because. He had somebody in his belly. And who was in his belly? David. And therefore God saves Lot. And all of a sudden they take him out with Abraham. And they put him in a cave. Him and his daughters. In a cave in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden in the middle of the night. Lot's daughters or Lot takes out a bottle of wine. And gets drunk. I can ask you a simple question. What is a bottle of wine doing in a cave? 
They don't tell me that on the way out, oh, don't forget the wine. The world's being destroyed. You're not taking the wine with you. They didn't take their, uh, you know, their tennis rackets. Okay, we got to go. Hashem's destroying the world. Okay, let's get your, don't forget your bathing suit. They were running for their lives. So they, I'm sure they didn't take a bottle of wine with them. So the Rashi brings down that Borei Olam sent the angel down and put a wine bottle, a special wine, in the cave before they got there. So this was like they had a, uh, a mini bar in the, in the cave. You ever hear the wine called the cave? There's a wine called the Me'arat. From that, from the wine that they found in the cave. So this is from God. God already is preparing to bring Mashiach over here. They would drink the special wine. They would get drunk. Before you know it, Lot and his daughters thought they were the only people left in the world. And they would have an ancestral relationship. And all of a sudden, uh, what would happen? Uh, you had Lot's daughter uh, got pregnant. And all of a sudden, she has a son. And the son is called Moab. And there you go. We had to get Moab out in the world. Because Moab eventually would have a granddaughter called Ruth. Ruth would convert. Ruth would become Jewish. to become the great-grandmother, or the grandmother of David, the great-grandmother of King Solomon. And everyone was happy ever after. So where is David's neshama? In storm. I found him. And that's why Lot gets saved. Lot doesn't get saved on his own merit. He gets saved on David's merit. And Borei Olam puts the wine there because he's bringing Mashiach and it's a, whole, it's a whole thing. And we talked about this last week that sometimes God stores holy neshamot in unexpected places and he brings them into the world in very, very controversial ways because the, the Yetzirah or the Kedipot don't suspect that something good will come from it and that's the subterfuge how God Keeps them off balance and brings the Mashiach. And that's what it says. Shemen He was anointed with my special oil. Shemuel Anavi, as is brought down in the book of Shemuel Aleph, took the special oil, which is only anointed to the kings of David, and poured the oil on David's uh, head, and uh, he then becomes the king forever. Now, as I said, there were times where the kingdom of David was misbehaving, and there was a temporary. Uh, pause in the kingdom, but it would it always come back, and that's why it is very important to see this pasuk. I know I said that's the last pasuk, but is another these are yesodot over here. Look at chavtet. Le'olam eshmor lo hasti. God says, "I will always keep my chesed to the family of David." Ubriti ne'emenet lo. That means it's an unconditional covenant. And that's why the next pasuk says, His zera will have la'ad forever. His chair will be as long as the heavens. Even if his children leave the Torah. And they will profane my laws. They're not going to get fired. All I'll do is what? Punish them. They will get punished. Some of the kings of, of David got leprosy on their foreheads. Some of them, their legs hurt. Some of them, they got killed. But the kingdom will always come back. Next pasuk, But my kindness will never be broken. I will never take away my word. I will never break my covenant. And I will not change my word. 
I've swore to one family, im the David Achazeb, I will never let him down. His zera will be forever. So it's not based on virtue anymore. It means, by the way, this is a big thing now. I know it's time, I'm ready to go, but uh, this is a big thing here. Because this is what the, I don't want to say this is what the Christians said. Christians came along and said that the Jews made sins and the Jews, and therefore their Messiah is not anymore coming, and that's why the Davidic dynasty broke, and therefore we have a new Mashiach called Yemashemur, uh, whatever they call him. But the point is, this chapter says no, it's unconditional. David's kingdom is not anymore dependent on virtue. There will be times where the kingdom will be paused, but they'll make Teshuvah after the punishment, and it will come back. It's a very key chapter to answer that argument. Where's the kingdom? The kingdom? We haven't had a kingdom from David for 2,000 years. That's what the Christians say. You know why? Because of the sins of the Jewish people. Therefore God has forsaken his nation, and that is a new Messiah, coming from Jindi, from Nadegai. And we come along and say, what are you talking about? But the Pasuk's over here, it's not going to be ever taken away. We trust these chapters. And then the Pasuk says, his kingdom will be like the sun, and the next person says, Ki like the moon. Why is it like the sun and the moon? Do you see the sun every day? Yeah. No, you don't see it every day. Sometimes there's clouds. You see the moon every day? You don't see it. Sometimes in the beginning of the month, it's invisible. Some, their kingdom is going to be, sometimes they're going to be evident, and sometimes they're going to be concealed. It's going to be like the sun and the moon. We know they're there, but they don't always have a showing, because either there's clouds or it's raining, or it's the time of the month where the moon does not have visibility. And therefore, it's, it's going to be like that. But nobody thinks on a cloudy day there's no sun. And nobody thinks that on the, on, 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 at the end of the month when the moon is invisible, nobody says, oh, that's it, somebody stole the moon. Well, nobody thinks that. And that's going to be the same thing when it comes to David's dynasty. You shouldn't think that even though you have 2,000 years without a king from David, so we're going to a long, uh, long cloudy uh, spell. But it, it'll pass, and David's kingdom will come back after Teshuvan Ma'asim Tovim, and that'll be at the time when Mashiach ben David appears in our time. Amen. Amen. Amen.